Welcome to the Bible Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Dr. Douglas D. Stoffer. Dr. Stoffer currently serves as President of Key of Knowledge Ministries. He has thousands of hours teaching experience, 10 years serving in pastoral ministries, and has authored several books. One of Dr. Stoffer's most recent projects included his participation as consulting editor for Oxford University Press. He has also been the featured speaker on national and international radio broadcasts dozens of times. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mccowanmills.com. I want to preach tonight on what I consider the most important person in the New Testament apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. I came down with a sinus infection yesterday morning. But I'm going to preach to you tonight on Barnabas. Barnabas. You say, how could he be the most important character apart from Jesus in the New Testament? Well, I'll try to show you that. I want to see if I can prove that to you from the Scripture. In Acts chapter 4, we're first introduced to Barnabas. His name is Joseph. J-O-S-E-S. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. The Bible says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of Constellation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So one of the first things we find out about Barnabas is that's not really his name. He was named Barnabas by the apostles. His real name is Joseph. And when we go back into uh, the Gospels, we'll see who Joseph was, see who his mother was. His mother's name, I believe, was Mary. You know, sometimes there's so many different people with the same name, you've got uh, you, to hedge it a little bit. But I believe his mother's name was Mary. We'll be introduced to her in a little bit. But first of all, we see that his surname was Barnabas, which means the son of consolation. The son of consolation. And I'll tell you a little bit about consolation and what that means. But notice that he had land and he sold it. He brought it to the apostles, laid it at their feet, and they made distribution. Because remember, in Acts chapter 4, we're during a transition period. We're, we're at a period of time when God is moving from the Jew to the Gentile. When He's moving from a period of the law to a period that we call the age of grace. Not because grace wasn't in the Old Testament, because it was. But grace is so evident today that all other periods of time are pale in comparison to it. When you look at God's graciousness to man, you simply realize you're a sinner. You simply realize you need Jesus as your Savior. You trust in Him. You ask Him to save you. He saves you. Now, I hate to tell you, if you go back there in the law... I don't see that under the law. Nobody gets to heaven apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Past, present, or future. That's true. But I don't see that kind of grace. That kind of grace that we have today where a person just realizes they're lost, turns to Jesus, and they can be gloriously saved and sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day they die. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. You look at, at David, what did he pray in Psalm 51? He said, take not thine Holy Spirit from me. You ever pray that prayer? Not me. But it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because Saul lost the Holy Spirit. An evil spirit came upon him, the Bible says. So we look at Barnabas. Who was he? He was the son of consolation. 
Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Now, Barnabas is best remembered by most Bible students as the one that argued with the Apostle Paul because Paul refused to take John Mark with them on another missionary journey. For this reason, it's believed that Barnabas was not as greatly used as the Apostle Paul, but I'll show you that he was. It's a total misconception of Scripture to think that he wasn't. But yet many Bible students misinterpret this and they look at it and they say, well, no, and I was taught this, and I used to teach this. I used to teach that Barnabas was put on the shelf. After he split away from Paul, he's put on the shelf and he's not used anymore. But I don't think that's true. When I started studying Barnabas out, I studied and found out that, no, he was greatly used in ways that we can't even imagine. But here's another problem we find in Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. So here we have a second time we're introduced to Barnabas, and, and it's a problem. Peter sees the Jews come from Jerusalem, from, from James, <clears throat> and he withdraws himself. And Barnabas sees this and says, hey, I'm going to go too. I believe that's because of Barnabas' character. We'll see some things about his character as we study the person of Barnabas. We'll see why it was that he would follow Peter. Because you see, Barnabas was a follower. He wasn't really a leader. He was the son of consolation. Now, what is a consoler? Someone that alleviates grief or comforts another person. Barnabas was the encourager or the edifier. How many of you know of somebody that's an encourager or an edifier? Just raise your hand. I hope you know somebody like that because we all need somebody like that. I'll tell you this, I'd like to be like Barnabas. I'd like to be somebody that's an encourager to others. Somebody that when you see them, they're edifying and not complaining or moaning or groaning or, or just, just telling all the problems they've had throughout the day. I'd rather be somebody that asks somebody, how are you doing? And really want to hear the answer. If he'd see a lost person, you know what I think he'd do? He'd take the time to find out, how are you doing? How's the Lord working in your life? He was the son of consolation, a consoler. What else do we know about him? Well, his given name was Joseph. We found that out in Acts chapter 4. He was a Levite. That was Acts chapter 4 also. He was of the country of Cyprus. The fifth thing we see is that he had a burden for the work of God. In Acts chapter 4 verse 37, it said he sold the land that he had. And then he brought the money to the apostles and distribution was made in Jerusalem as every man had need. Because we're during that transition period, those people back then, if they were living for God and sold out to God, they sold everything they had and they gave it to the apostles and they made distribution. And we'll see later on what happened. Whenever God moved away from those Jews and moved away from them and started using the Gentiles to evangelize the world, all of a sudden you got a problem in Jerusalem. Nobody owns anything anymore. They have to send relief back to Jerusalem. We'll see how Barnabas is involved in that later. His mother's name was probably Mary. Turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. We'll see who his mother was. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know about you, but I want my kids to grow up right. Amen? 
I want to see them serve God when they get older. I want my daughter to marry a Christian man. I want my son to marry a Christian girl. I want them to raise their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I would like to have children like Barnabas. Well, how do you raise a Barnabas? You've got to be a Mary. Who was Mary? Mark chapter 15, look at verse 40. Mark 15, verse 40. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene. And Mary, the mother of James, the last and of Joseph, there he is, and, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. So how do you raise a Barnabas? You make sure you mothers are ministers of Jesus Christ. You, he, she ministered unto him. You've got to be busy letting your children know that what is important in your life is not your job, it's nothing apart from Jesus. That doesn't mean that if you work, you can't put everything into it. You just make sure that that everything isn't everything when it comes to your family. You make sure that that everything includes your family and putting your family first. By the way, that goes for fathers too. I'm a workaholic. I work seven days a week, but fortunately I work out of my home or I take my home with me, however it works. But I, you know, I'm fortunate God called me in the ministry because I'm able to spend time with my family. I, I've worked secular jobs. I'm a CPA. I was controller of companies and chief financial officer, and I worked very hard. Most of it was before we adopted our children. When we got, when our children came into our life, God put me full time in the ministry. Thank the Lord for that. But you know what? That ministry took a lot of my life. Took a lot of my time. Many preachers lose their children because that ministry becomes more important than their children. We can't let that happen. You can't let that happen to your preacher. You can't become a part of that. You've got to make sure he's got time for his family. And his family comes first. That's the way it's got to be. God ordained the family first. So as we look at this thing, who was Mary? Look at verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. She was one of the ones that went to the sepulcher. She wanted to know, where did they lay him down? Where did they put my Jesus? You see, he had died. She didn't quit on him. She didn't say, oh, I give up. Remember, Peter, he had some problems. He says, I go a fishing. You know, that's Peter. Here's Mary, the mother of Joseph. Barnabas, she wants to know where the Savior was laid. Now turn over to Matthew 28. We're introduced to her again. The Bible says in Matthew 28, look at verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. His mother was known as the other Mary. The other Mary. You want to know how you raise a Barnabas? You be known as the other Mary. I mean, you don't look for the limelight. How you raise a Barnabas that's concerned about others and concerned about souls is you make sure that you put first things first and you don't look to try to get the credit yourself and take the limelight yourself. You make sure you put Jesus first and you're always pointing to the cross. She was the other Mary. That's how you raise a Barnabas. You make sure that you put first things first. David started out that way. David started out with very humble beginnings. If you look at his life, he was the armor bearer of Saul. 
That armor bearer to me is not the most prestigious position. I mean, you carry that armor around. I mean, I don't know. How, how do you carry armor around? I mean, you, you don't put it on. You've got to carry all that stuff around. You're the armor bearer. That's the way David, the greatest king of Israel, started. That's the way everybody needs to start. You know how it is today? I remember when I was in business, you'd hire somebody. You want to know what they want to be? They want to be the president of the company. No experience, but they want to be the president. That's the way I was when I was hired too. <laughs> I know. You know, then you start finding out you don't know nothing. That's good English too. You don't know nothing. One of the hardest things to teach young people is that they don't know nothing. Right, young people? You don't know nothing. But you do. You do. When you turn 18, you know more than your parents in their 40 or 50 years. It's guaranteed. Mine aren't even 18 yet, and they already know more than me. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Let's go back to Barnabas. Now we've seen who his mother is. He's the son of consolation. How could this son of consolation be the most important character apart from the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament? Well, I'll get ahead of myself if I tell you. So let's look at Acts chapter 13. Barnabas started out as a willing financial supporter of the work of God. He just shows up in the Word of God and packs the whole world almost anonymously and disappears back into obscurity just as quickly. In Acts chapter 13, look at verse 1. Now there was in the church, there was in Antioch, certain prophets and teachers of Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Certain prophets and teachers of Barnabas. So who was Barnabas? He was an apostle, we know, according to chapter 14, verse 14. But he may not even have been a preacher. The Bible says he was among the prophets and teachers. In verse 2, the Bible says that he had a genuine call of God in his life. Acts 13, look at verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed to Seleucia, and from thence sailed to Cyprus. So what we see is that Barnabas had a call of God on his life, and it was genuine. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of preachers in the world that do not have that genuine call. A lot of preachers get in the ministry for whatever reason. Some of them are mama called, but they're not God called. We need God called preachers. I appreciate your preacher. I believe he's a God called preacher. There's no doubt. I've heard him preach. I've seen the Holy Spirit work in his life. I believe that. I've seen that. I've seen that in some others. But you know what? I've seen that a lot of, a lot of preachers are not God called. You say, well, who are you to judge? Well, the Bible says that we're to judge all things, hold fast that which is true. We're to judge these things. Listen, I don't want, I, I could be out making a lot of money. My brother, he went in, he's a CPA also, went into business, sold his business, went public, made, made millions of dollars. And you know what? I wouldn't give up what I'm doing for all that. For all that. Why not? Because this is what God's called me to do. You make sure whatever it is God called you to do, that's what you do. You don't have to be a preacher to be called of God. You might be the one that turns off the lights and locks the doors. You know what that is? That's a calling of God in its own right. It's an important thing. 
Do you realize that if you put everything on your preaching on his family to do everything, I mean, he had to open the doors, lock the doors, turn off the lights, vacuum the floor, and make sure this ministry kept running, you'd kill him. Many of preachers drop dead because of that. Many of preachers burn out in the ministry because of that. You've got to make sure you don't let that happen here. You've got to make sure that whatever your calling is, it might be up here in the choir, it might be here in front of the microphone, whatever it is, you do what God's called you to do. If you've been given a gift, do not neglect that gift. You take that gift and let God work through you to minister to others, and that will be your calling of God. You know what I like about Barnabas? Look at Acts chapter 11. You know what Barnabas was willing to do? He was willing to do the job that nobody else would do. He was willing to do the job that nobody else would do. And I'll show you in Acts chapter 11 what that job was. You know what it involved? It involved the most despised, neglected group, the Gentiles. You see, Jews didn't like Gentiles. You go back there in the Old Testament, what do you see about Jews and Gentiles? It was like oil and water. And it was supposed to be like that back then. So what you find in Acts chapter 11, look at verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, this is Acts 11:19, traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jew only. Notice they went to the Jew only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Notice that they started preaching to the Grecians. Who are the Grecians? They're Gentiles. They're preaching what? They're preaching the Lord Jesus. You know what you and I need to do? We need to preach some more of the Lord Jesus. We need to tell people about what Jesus did when He was on the cross of Calvary. He shed His blood for our sins and died so that we can be saved. So anybody, anywhere, anytime can trust in Jesus and be saved. That's what we need to tell the world. The hand of the Lord was with them. Many, many believed and turned on the Lord. Look at verse 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem. And notice what it says. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Notice they sent forth Barnabas. Now, why did they send forth Barnabas? Because they were looking for volunteers and didn't have any. They looked around and they said, well, you hear what's going on down there? Those Gentiles are getting saved. Peter remembers in this church too. Peter probably stands up and says, well, let me tell you what happened with Cornelius. I was in my room and this sheep came down and I was told to kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord. I mean, I don't think he said it. I don't think he bragged about it. He probably said, well, you know, I was really stupid and I didn't want to go. You know, maybe he was humble about it. Who knows how he handled it, but he started telling about Cornelius and the fact that in Acts chapter 10, when he goes to Cornelius, those Gentiles have the Holy Ghost come upon them, and all those Jews realized that those Gentiles had received the Spirit of God and gotten saved. He starts telling them about that thing. Well, they all start looking to Peter and saying, hey, why don't you go to Antioch? Peter's saying, well, well, you know, I don't mind going whenever God makes me go, but I ain't going if I don't have to go. Where's Barnabas? That's the way Barnabas was. 
Barnabas is the guy you look to when nobody else will get the job done. I'd like to be like that. I'd like to be like the guy that they say, hey, we need a job done. Let's go get done. You ought to be like that too. We need a job done. Who do we ask? Is it the same person over and over again? There's a problem then. Too few people are involved in the work of God. Too many pew sinners. Too many people saying, let somebody else do it. Hey, do you realize that everybody in the church did their job? How much more the church could get done for the glory of God? Oh, it'd be a great thing, a great day. What a glorious thing to have everybody in the church doing their part. All the pieces in the puzzle coming together and then all of a sudden God gets all the glory and great and wonderful things are done. So they sent forth. They said, hey, we're going to send Barnabas. Why? Because Barnabas won't turn you down. You go to Barnabas and say, Barnabas, I need you to go and it could be the worst job. And Barnabas would say, yes, I'll go do it. Verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and the faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Boy, I tell you what, you look at Barnabas, you say, I wouldn't want to be a Barnabas. I wouldn't want to be the one that everybody just sort of shovels the dirt on. And I'll tell you what, you take a little of that shovel into the dirt, and you get the blessings of God in verse 23. Read it again. It says, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God. You ever see the grace of God? Barnabas did. He saw the grace of God. He was glad and exhorted them all. And with purpose of heart. Notice, all man, I, I could part for an hour on verse 23. He was glad. He exhorted them. With purpose of heart. You ever have purpose of heart in something? I mean, you ever just put your heart into the work of God? That's what Barnabas did. With purpose of heart. They would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man. And full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was that in the Lord. What does it say? He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost. And what happens? God sees many souls saved because one man says, I'll do the job that nobody else wants to do. And that was Barnabas. While he was there in Antioch, he remembered a man whom he had helped named Saul, whose name became Paul. When Saul was rejected by the other disciples, turn to Acts chapter 9 and I'll back up on the story for a moment. I'll show you why I think he was the most important character in the New Testament. When Saul was rejected by the other disciples in Jerusalem, Barnabas was the one that intervened for this Christian killer. In Acts chapter 9, look at verse 26. Remember, Paul gets saved, Saul, Paul, gets saved in Acts chapter 9. Verse 26, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, what great words for a consoler. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed among the, against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. So Barnabas was the one that took Saul to the apostles and testified how God was working through him. 
Barnabas believed in Saul when no one else did. He wanted to give him a chance when no one else would. What could he have possibly seen in this man? After Saul's conversion, though, some problems arise. You see, when the, when the Christian killers save, the persecution stops. So when the persecution stops, you don't want it to start again. But Paul starts preaching. He starts disputing against the Grecians. So what did they do? They went about to slay him. They decided, we're going to kill this guy. Well, guess what? The persecution starts again. So all those big wigs there, they look around and they say, why is this persecution starting again? That's that guy that was causing the persecution. That Saul fella. He keeps disputing, keeps arguing with these guys. He won't keep his mouth shut. Let's get rid of him. Where can we send him? Send him home. Remember that his name was Saul of Tarsus. Look at the end of verse 30. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. You see, I don't know much, but I know this. If you're a Christian and a baby in Christ, one of the worst things people can do to you is send you home. Because that is where you don't get any support. You go back home as a new baby Christian without the support of the church, without the support of fellow believers, and you will have a very, very, very rough time. But they weren't worried about that. They sent him back. They sent him back to Tarsus. Paul could have been discouraged by what happened in Jerusalem. Maybe Barnabas was his only true friend. You ever think about that? Barnabas stuck up for him in Acts chapter 9. We already read in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas goes to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 11, the Grecians, and he goes to Antioch and he preaches to them, but look at what happens when he gets the job done in verse 25 of Acts chapter 11. Go back to Acts 11, look at verse 25. The Bible says in Acts 11:25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. You see, Barnabas comes to Antioch. He preaches to the Grecians. Many are saved. And then he remembers a young man who had gotten saved on the road to Damascus and nobody believed he was a Christian. But Barnabas saw something in that young man that nobody else saw. And he went to the apostles and he said, listen, this guy's real. This guy's got Christ in his life. And they believed it. But hey, persecution started up and they sent him back to Tarsus. So when Barnabas comes near Tarsus, he says, I'm going back and I'm going to seek out Saul. By the way, you know when you have to seek somebody out, chances are they're not getting the job done. Hey, if, if Saul was doing in Tarsus what he was doing in, in Jerusalem or, or wherever he was, if he was doing the same thing, you wouldn't have to seek him out. You'd walk down the street and say, where is he? And they'd say, he's over there because he'd be preaching and doing the work of God. I wonder if Saul just sort of faded back in the background for a while. Discouraged. Defeated. Dejected. Too many Christians get like that. I hope in my life that I have not done that to others. I can't tell you I haven't been um, discouraging to others sometimes. You get real busy and you don't take the time. Somebody wants to come up and talk to you and you, you don't spend the time you need to spend with them. It's important to give people the most important commodity you have and that's time. Give it to them. 
Be concerned for others. When you see people are missing, don't assume that they're out traveling. Find out. Are they discouraged? Is there something you can do to help? Pick them up. Get them on their feet. Get them rolling in the right path again. You might find out you've just gotten a great missionary for God on his feet again. He went to Tarsus for to seek out Saul. He was determined not to let this new Christian slip through the cracks. You see, he didn't see Saul for what he was, but for what he could be. He went to Tarsus to seek for Saul, found him, and brought him back to the work of God in Antioch. Look at verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You say, why? Because Saul was there. I say, why? Because Barnabas brought him there. You see, we're talking about Saul, who became Paul, who wrote more books in the New Testament than anybody else. He's the one that wrote the book of Romans for us. You say, well, that was God. Yes, it was. But I'll tell you something. We discount the work of people so much in an attempt to make sure God gets the glory and that the people are humbled that we forget to look at people for what they are and they need to know that they matter. Because you matter to God. God cares about what you do. God cares about you being involved in the work of God. So let's not get so hasty in our humbling of others that we do the humbling and we don't let God do it. I think we need to get out of the way on the humbling bit too and just let God get the glory. God needs to humble us. So I don't be humbled by God. I'd rather be humbled by God than humbled by man. I'll tell you because He's more gracious. God's got grace and mercy in His work. People don't too many times. What a shameful thing. Barnabas was a trusted servant. Remember, there was a famine coming in in Acts chapter 11 and Herodias decided to send a relief back to Jerusalem. Guess who they chose to carry the gift back? Yep, Barnabas. Acts chapter 11, verse 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Which also they did. And sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Let me tell you something. If you can trust a man with your money, you can trust him with anything. That is a good indicator of whether a person can be trusted. If a man will steal a nickel from you, he'll steal a dollar from you. Barnabas could be trusted. They said, let's send Barnabas back. We can trust him to deliver that money. Look at Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, another thing about Barnabas. He fulfilled his ministry and then he sought out the next work. He had a ministry to do and then he sought out the next thing God would have him do. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. He fulfilled his ministry. What a great statement. If they could put anything as an epitaph for you, could they put on your gravestone, He fulfilled His ministry. He finished the course. 
Are you in the race? Are you in the battle? Well, if you are, finish it. Finish it. You look around at a very wicked world. And you see the wickedness and it's great. I just finished a, a video and a DVD on Harry Potter. I spent over a hundred hours preparing for it and we videoed it and then we edited it and we did two 28-minute segments for cable television. And I look at the wickedness of this thing and it astounds me. And Christians, too many of them are ignorant of this thing. It's a shame. It's a shame. But I want to spend my time telling Christians what's going on. I'll tell you one part of the video and it's not part of the message. In, uh, in the Harry Potter video, there's a man that they mentioned named Nicholas Flamel. He was a person that really lived. I mean, this isn't just make-believe. And what they tell about Nicholas Flamel is that he, he celebrated his 665th birthday last year. That's 665 last year. What's that make this year? 666. And you know what Nicholas Flamel has, the one with the, associated with the 666? He has the elixir of life which gives eternal life. Now, I'm here to tell you, that's not accident. This is wickedness. But you know what? We can't look at that and get defeated. We can't look at that and give up. We can't look at that and say, ah, it's just God's out of control. He just... No, we've got to look at that and we've got to say, God's still in control. You know what Paul said in Galatians 2? It's an evil world. Present evil world. You know what it was when he wrote Galatians? An evil world. You know what it is today? An evil world. We're living in a world where we don't belong. And the more you belong, the further you are away from God. I don't want to belong. I don't want to be accepted. Once I fit in the world, I, I'm away from God. I'd rather, I'd rather be looked at as a bit peculiar. A bit different. I'd rather be looked at as a Christian. Like they were in Antioch where they are first called Christians. Let's look at Acts chapter 13. Remember in Acts 12, it, it mentioned a guy and they took with him John, whose surname was Mark. That's going to come up again in Acts chapter 13. You know, Barnabas, he showed great humility because he was willing to play second fiddle to someone he trained. You know, it's hard when you train somebody up and you're the trainer and they're the trainee and then all of a sudden, they become more important than you, but Barnabas didn't worry about that. He didn't look at that and see it as a threat. He didn't look at that and say, oh, I'm not going to let this happen. No, in Acts chapter 13, look at verse 7. Which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the Word of God. Notice the order there. Barnabas and Saul. That order is getting ready to change. The Holy Ghost is getting ready to change that order from Barnabas and Saul to Paul and Barnabas. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews, the religious proselytes, followed Paul and Barnabas. There's the demotion. Could you take it? Could you take the demotion if it was given to you? Barnabas could because he's a son of consolation. Barnabas could because he's the type of individual that each and every one of us needs to emulate in our lives. We need to be more like Barnabas. 
Not worry about whether we get the attention. Not worry about whether we get the glory. Not worry about whether we're set up on the pedestal. Because if you are, let me tell you what happens to that pedestal. Somebody comes along and just kicks that baby out and you come a-tumbling down. Don't put me on a pedestal because I don't want to be there. I don't want to come down. I don't want to fall hard. Not by my own doing. I want to be where God wants me to be. I would like to be like a Barnabas. I would like to be like a son of consolation. Verse 43, they followed Paul and Barnabas who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the Word of God. But when he saw the Jews, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by who? Paul. Contradicting and blaspheming. Who was speaking there? Paul. Not Barnabas. Paul was the chief speaker. Paul was the one that they contradicted and blasphemed. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts 14, look at verse 12. The Bible says, And they called Barnabas Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. How could Barnabas have reacted? Barnabas was the only one that believed in this new convert. Barnabas knew the other apostles personally. Barnabas worked in the mother of all churches there in Jerusalem. Barnabas was a great influence in the church of Antioch when they were first called Christians. Paul was wet behind the ears when Barnabas met him. How could Barnabas have reacted? He could have taken it personally and said, I won't have this. I won't be a part of this. I'll stop this. And you know what he would have stopped? The greatest work ever done. But instead, Barnabas becomes one of the greatest characters in the New Testament because of the time that he put into somebody that nobody else believed in. Let me tell you something, young people. If nobody else believes in you, there'll be one person that'll believe in you and that's all you need. And they'll make the difference in your life. No matter who it is. Be a Barnabas. Be a son of consolation. Turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. You see, it seemed Barnabas realized he could have been a part of a great work of God so long as he was willing to take second seat. For this reason, Barnabas has no problem backing up Paul once he had finished training him. It's obvious that Barnabas didn't spend his time complaining about his new demotion because when they come to the Jerusalem council, the council knew nothing of the new pecking order. You see, it was always Barnabas and Saul, and then it changed around. The Holy Ghost changed around and made it Paul and Barnabas. But when they entered the council, the Jerusalem council, and the Jerusalem council wrote the letters, the letter to the Gentiles, look at what it says. In Acts 15.25, it seemed good unto us, this is the Jerusalem council, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. They got it all mixed up. They didn't realize that it was supposed to be Paul and Barnabas. How come they didn't know? Because Barnabas wasn't going around complaining about it. Because they didn't know what was going on out there. As far as they knew, Barnabas was still the main leader. And when they came back, they gave him the prestigious position, number one. 
Now, in Acts chapter 15 again, Paul and Barnabas had taken Barnabas' nephew on one of their journeys, one of their missionary journeys. His name was John Mark. He was a young man. But Mark got homesick, so he returned home. On the next trip, both Paul and Barnabas are adamant about each other's respective positions. Paul says, you don't take them. Barnabas says, you do. Who was right and who was wrong? Well, most scholars, those that teach others, whether they're scholarly or not, have always said that Paul was right, Barnabas was wrong, Barnabas was put on the shelf, and Paul was the one that got all the limelight. I say, no way. No way. That's not true. You know who was right? They both were. Sometimes the Holy Ghost needs to cause little division in order to get two works going. Now, I'm not talking about a church split where a bunch of people just get, you know, get the pew color wrong. They don't like the color of the pews anymore. The carpet's the wrong color. Or the preacher, you know, turned his head the wrong way. Or, you know, whatever it was. And they just go and split and make a new church. That's not of God. I'm talking about two Holy Ghost filled men who did the work of God and who believed that they were being led of God, sometimes that position is totally contrary one to another. Acts 15.36 And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where he had preached the Word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark, sailed into Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren of the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So the Bible says that Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark. They departed from them to Pamphylia. And you know what probably happened? Barnabas just went in there like he did at Antioch and got the work done. Souls were saved, but he didn't write the Scripture, so we don't know about it. We don't know how many souls were saved under Barnabas, and we're not supposed to because that's what a Barnabas is. We need to be like Barnabas. We don't need to be telling everybody, look, look, look at us. Look at what we're doing. No, we need to be pointing at Jesus and then let Jesus get the glory. That's what Barnabas was like. Paul chose Silas. You don't read about Barnabas again in the book of Acts. Barnabas goes to bat for John Mark. Probably the same way he went to bat for a young man named Saul. You see, Barnabas was a man that poured his life into others. His only ambition was to please God and to train young soldiers for Christ. Barnabas probably argued with Paul about John Mark's potential. He probably said he could be the next great missionary to the world. <laughs> they didn't have missionaries to Africa and missionaries to Asia and missionaries to here. No, they had missionaries to the world back then. The world wasn't as populated. And they just traveled around from city to city and preached the Word of God because so many people needed to hear. So many people were willing to hear the Word of God and to hear the preaching of God's Word. 
Paul says, absolutely not. Barnabas probably retorted that John Mark will never get the necessary experience unless someone gives him the chance. You ever go get your first job? What do they always ask you for? Experience. Why? Because nobody wants to be in the business of training somebody that first time. They don't have the patience. They don't see the dividends. But you know what? Sometimes you can be the first one to train somebody and do the job right. And they stick with you. Year in. Year out. There are great dividends in putting your life into others. Paul says that this is God's business. I mean, this is the way Paul was. Paul, Paul was a pretty gruff guy. Paul says this is God's business. There's no room for quitters. The contention's so sharp they part company. Paul takes Silas. Barnabas fades back into obscurity. Now, I think of Barnabas, and I'm concluding on this. Barnabas is a strange character. He's unique. He had a burden simply for the work of God. He believed in the potential of young converts long before their potential was evident to others. I want you to imagine for a moment, what was it like when Paul and Silas came back from their missionary journeys? What was it like? Barnabas in the back of the church, maybe there in Jerusalem, Antioch, wherever they were. Paul and Silas come in and they... They talk about what happened in Acts chapter 16 to the Philippian jailer and they're talking about how the earthquake happened, how the walls came tumbling down and how the Philippian jailer and all his house got saved. What was Barnabas doing back there? Sulking? Not a Barnabas. Barnabas probably back there going, Amen! Glory! Hallelujah! He was glad to hear that Paul had somebody like Silas to help him do the work of God. You know something else you might think about Barnabas? You know what Paul went through with all the beatings and all those things? Maybe Barnabas wasn't the one that needed to be with Paul when those things were happening to him. Maybe that was different from Barnabas' character. Can you imagine when they were talking about the Macedonian call? And What was Barnabas like? He probably rejoiced in the thing. Unlike many Christians, I'm afraid. Many Christians see, see God working in somebody's life and they say, how come it's not me? How come I can't get that? You don't want it unless God gives it to you. You really don't. You take it upon yourself and you'll take a good dose of Satan with you. And when you take that dose of Satan... You won't like it in the long run. Interesting thing happens at the end of Paul's life in ministry. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, Barnabas probably constantly prayed for Paul's ministry. He tells Timothy to bring Mark with him. Notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Now let me ask you something. Who made John Mark profitable for Paul in the ministry? 
Yes, it was Barnabas. You'd say, oh, it's the Holy Ghost. Yes, 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 we need to humble Barnabas, even though he's been dead a long time. That's what we do. We are so busy making sure that nobody gets lifted up or puffed up that we destroy all the motivation that people have. We're guilty. I am so tired of it. I am so tired of of preachers around the world looking at Christians saying, you're no good, you're rotten, you're low. Listen! That's not what's going to motivate somebody. You know what will motivate somebody? You tell them what they really are. God loved you so much. He sent His Son to die for your sins. Jesus loved you so much, He took your sins upon Him and was rejected of the Father. And He cried out on the cross, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? And then you tell them, that's how much God loves you. Help me to love you that much. You didn't see Jesus going around. Yeah, to the hypocrites, to to the Pharisees, He was pretty rough on them. To the common man and woman, He was gracious. He was merciful. And He knew how to motivate. We have destroyed the motivation in our churches by trying to make sure that nobody gets lifted up. If somebody lifts themselves up, God will knock them down. Let God take care of that. Here's Mark. He's profitable now. Who helped him grow? Barnabas. He matured so much that Paul wanted to see him before he died. Who made Paul profitable? Barnabas. Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Barnabas wrote nothing. Yet Barnabas influenced those that influenced other Christians. Therefore, the one that influenced the influencer is, I believe, the most important person apart from Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We need to be careful. You know what Paul said? Paul said, ye are my work in the Lord. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 9.1, and I don't even know where that comes from, even though my memory is fading. Ye are my work in the Lord. Do you want to know what your work is? Everybody that you influence in this life, for good or for bad, that's your work. You know what will be tried at the judgment seat of Christ? Your work. Right now, you are my work. I am your work. Because we've interacted. The people you work for, that's your work. Be the type of influence that you need to be. We need to be busy telling people that Jesus died for them. And busy telling people that we are saved and they need to be saved. And they need to live for God. And we need to live for God. Let's all stand together. During this invitation, invitation is always twofold. One is for those that need to get saved. And one is for those that need to come and pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I do thank You for Your many blessings. I thank You for sending Your Son to die for our sins. Lord, I pray that You would speak to hearts. Lord, help each one of us to be a Barnabas, to be a soul winner, to be a son of consolation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Let me ask you a question. We always ask this. If you're not saved, you've never trusted in Christ, 
Would you raise your hand right now and say, Brother Doug, pray for me. I've never been saved. Is there anybody in here like that? Just slip your hand up. Anybody, just slip your hand up, put it back down. Anybody up top? Anybody down below? Anybody say, Brother Doug, I'm not saved. Just raise your hand. Anybody. I trust we're all Christians then. I can't tell your heart. I can't tell whether you're saved or lost. But a group this size, maybe there's somebody that's lost. You need need to get hold of somebody before you leave here and talk to them about Jesus. Now, those of us that are saved, let me just ask you. Did you see something about Barnabas that you ought to have in your life? What is it about Barnabas that you'd like to have in your life? If there is something like that, you ask God right now, God, help me to be like Barnabas. Help me to be somebody that's involved in putting my life into others. If you'd like to come forward and pray, step out from where you are. We call this an altar up here. You can come up, you can pray. Just step out from where you are. Anybody, just step out. Come forward. Nobody's looking. Every head is bowed, every eye closed. Anybody else? Step out from where you are. Don't worry about anything. It isn't magical to come up here to the front, but sometimes it takes that. Sometimes it takes a stepping out. You know, it said of Paul, he, or uh, Barnabas, he turned them unto the Lord. Sometimes it takes a stepping out, a coming forward, a public type of commitment to be closer to Jesus. Say, I want what I saw in Barnabas. Anybody else? Preacher. You do what God wants you to do. Tremendous Bible instruction tonight being introduced to Barnabas. As Brother Doug has extended the invitation, I would just add this while those folks are knelt down here praying. Has anybody seen Barnabas lately? Been looking for him? Have you seen him? Is he here tonight? Is Miss is Mrs. Barnabas here tonight? Has anybody seen Mrs. Barnabas? Churches throughout the land need need Barnabas. Every preacher needs a Barnabas. I can tell you that by experience. Every preacher, every Sunday school teacher needs a Barnabas. This was brought out so plain and vivid tonight. Every Christian needs a Barnabas in their life. Is he here tonight? Is she here tonight? I hope the Lord, as I was praying tonight in the prayer room with the men, praying that the Lord would speak to my heart and speak to your heart. And I hope you heard the voice. I hope you heard His voice through the preaching of the Word of God. What a tremendous message. Nothing but Bible. Bible. And I certainly appreciate that. Brother Eddie, we'll not have a song while these are knelt down here praying. We'll, we'll have prayer together, church. And then we're going to receive an offering in just a minute, all right? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pause tonight to lead this congregation in prayer.
In particular, Lord, those that have bowed around the front of the church with their hearts in tune with Thee, O God. Lord, You know the desires. You know the intentions when they moved, when they slipped out from where they were standing tonight and came forward. You know what motivated them. You know what their intentions. You know why they came. Lord, they might not have been able to articulate it to You tonight exactly what they want from You. But Lord, I pray the Spirit of God would help them tonight. Give them direction. Give them wisdom. Give them understanding, discernment. Most of all, Lord, would you give them indication that you've heard their prayers and this is going to be a different time from now on. And then I pray for those in my audience tonight that, Lord, you spoke to their hearts and maybe they didn't see the need to slip out, but they dealt, they dealt with you right there where they're standing. I pray tonight would be a changing, a turning point in their lives, Lord. You let them know you heard their prayers and you know the intentions of their heart. And you're willing, stand willing to help. Whatever the exploit is you have on their hearts and minds, whatever it is that, they, that you're indicating to them that they need to be doing, it can be done with your help. And Lord, you're willing to help them. Please, give them that tonight. And then that sinner that's here, Lord, that's lost. Lord, confused. What they heard tonight was just a bunch of talking about a man. But I pray that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would deal with their heart tonight about salvation. Would deal with their heart about the truth of sin and the truth of the Savior and the truth of judgment. Do it tonight, Lord, is my prayer. In agreement with this congregation. Can I get an amen tonight? Amen. Brother Eddie, I want you to come. We'll shift gears tonight. Uh, I want you to sing a song while we receive an offer. Just yourself. Oh, you got somebody else? Come on, Brother Carly, Brother Matt. We'll sing a song tonight. While you're standing, would you get a piece of money out tonight? We're going to give to Brother Stauffer and his family. They're traveling. Uh, they go from church to church in evangelism. And uh, we want to help them out tonight. And so tonight, everything that's given, go directly to Brother Doug Stauffer and his wife, Judy, and children. And so we're going to give tonight. While they sing, let's pray. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mcowanmills.com. That is M-C-C-O-W-E-N-M-I-L-L-S dot com or through the mail at P.O. Box 1611, Millbrook, Alabama 36054 or by calling 334-285-6650. Orders can be placed online or by calling toll-free at 1-866-344-1611.